Welcome to Buildings and Beyond. The podcast that explores how we can create a more sustainable built environment. By focusing on efficiency, accessibility, and health. Hey everyone, Alex Morabli here, co-producer and co-editor of the Buildings and Beyond podcast. In part two of this roundtable series, the group shifts their discussion toward high-performance buildings. Speaking from their experience, they explain why initiatives centered around occupant health and building sustainability should be prioritized when setting project goals. They also discuss how the pandemic has influenced project priorities and building operations, and share their thoughts on where they think the industry is heading. As a reminder, our guests are Michelle DiCarlo, Associate Partner at JBNB and President of Commercial Real Estate for Women in New York, also known as CREW, Saida Kirby, Senior Director of Energy and Sustainability Services at JLL, and Aaron McElwee, Building Systems Consultant at Stephen Winter Associates. In case you missed it, I highly encourage you to check out part one of this roundtable discussion, which focuses on gender equity in the workplace. Here's your host, Kelly Westby. I want to start with a quick question to get us uh, kind of moving along. What do you feel is the biggest challenge we face improving building performance today? Why don't we start with you, Michelle? I have to go with money on this one Mm. because I think everybody starts out with the best of intentions to have the most sustainable or the most energy efficient design or, you know, as we get into decarbonization, everybody wants to do the right thing. And then they realize how much space that takes up and that adds capital cost or they get the pricing on how more sophisticated infrastructure costs more than what they were used to or enhanced curtain wall or, or whatever it may be. So really in the end, it's just dollars. Yeah, that's a great point. Yeah, I, um, in my notes, I put money too. I'm not a homeowner, but I have some friends here at SWA that are homeowners and I've heard, and of course we're all about uh, you know, sustainability is what we recommend to our clients, but even some of our own uh, people here, like you can't. In- Ooh, Aaron, hmm? airing our dirty laundry. <laughs> <laughs> but when an air source heat pump for like electrifying DHW is eight to $10,000 from a conversation I overheard, like in this economy, the average homeowner can't swing that. So even, and that's, I guess, on a single family scale. Um, yeah, that's a great perspective from no matter who yeah. you are, whether you have a lot of money and you're in, uh, owning multiple building, large buildings in the commercial real estate space or developing new buildings or you're a single family homeowner, money is obviously on the table. Yeah, my parents have been trying to do solar forever now, but that initial uh, like upfront cost is what has been um, stopping them and figuring out how to get the incentives uh if there are any in one state or municipality is also tough because it's not common knowledge it's not well broadcasted yeah great point yeah i think for me the complexity of the buildings and the diverse range of the factors that can impact how we operate the buildings and then help it to uh, kind of improve the performance of that is a really important factor. And that, of course, to both of your points, there is an upfront cost for any improvement that mm-hmm. can be made. So when we're thinking about the building performance, there are 
different things that has to be touched at the same time. So when you're trying to make an improvement, you can't just focus on one factor versus the other. You have to look at that building as uh, as a whole. And that upfront cost that goes within uh, that decision-making and that process is usually the biggest challenge and burden for mm-hmm. um, a lot of clients and you know even to your point, the people that are homeowners, that's uh, usually a big role in in the challenge. Mm-hmm. And you tied it a little bit to kind of execution, the complexity of execution. I wonder how everyone else is feeling about if the capital costs are high, then we try to bring down the capital costs to make it more digestible to do the new thing. Um, but maybe that takes away from the ability to execute it effectively. And so now maybe we do half of the new good thing and or cut back on the people that we're paying to install it or whatever it is or cut back on the oversight, then it doesn't go well. And then that's just another reason to not do it in the future. Do you see that at all? That's definitely a concern and something we're always raising our hand about, right? If you go with maybe a less sophisticated product that can't do everything and you're not going to get the operations benefit or to the point about the oversight and the commissioning. You know, we talk a lot about facade commissioning, right? Because as much as we design the energy efficient mechanical systems, if you have leaks in your facade, right, you're just throwing out that energy and making sure it's all really sealed the way it should be. Yeah. Yeah, and I think from my perspective, so because my company is involved with uh, more of the real estate and how we manage the portfolio, there is, and we get involved to more than just the building performance a lot of time in terms of the planning, the space, and how you're trying to use it and what your long-term plan is in terms of occupying that space. We sometimes get to have the conversation around the building and the usage of that that allows us to offset some of that upfront cost that is associated with these systems or improvements. For example, if a client is trying to have a collaborative space for their uh, employees to really uh, help their uh, employees to uh, work on a solution together, or there's a lot of um, face-to-face uh, work that needs to be done, and they don't have a building that allows them to have that kind of space. There's a cost that is associated with, uh, you know, less productivity or um, the employees not wanting to be in that space. So a lot of time we're able to wrap up that conversation in terms of the overall use of the space, which allows to address some of that um, upfront cost that is associated with the um, building performance improvement and usually is a barrier. So I think um, we get that question a lot of time that can we break this down to you know, a couple of phases or can we do half of that and we really have to uh, paint that bigger picture for them that do you really want to do that if, if you do half of it or just some sort of small solution is really not going to get you to where you want to be as um, kind of a long-term plan for that building. I know for commissioning, we talk about starting with an owner's project requirements. So starting with the goals in mind, and I'm sure you do as well, 
uh, Michelle. Um, I guess people on the podcast can't see me pointing. <laughs> um, I'm curious, Michelle, in your experience, where is an example of um, maybe a win-win that you've found where you're able to wrap in the human side of things and the maybe comfort um, and the energy efficiency and building performance as well? I mean, I want to believe that the right design, right, the most energy efficient, um, carbon-friendly, indoor air quality mm -hmm. is the right solution for the occupants and the owner knowing that they're doing the right thing. But everybody has different priorities. So to say yeah. Yeah. that it's truly a win for everybody. People also That's have great... different preferences. Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's so hard. Like a senior building is very different from, a, a, I guess, a market rate building where young professionals are going to live. Mm. Um, it's very hard, I think, come up with a catch-all solution for that. Yeah, there's not one solution. And it's interesting because I also, it's funny that you said, I like to believe that that's true. There is a sort of um, continued naivete that I have that there exists this win-win solution. And there are some like micro solutions that I feel like are win-win. But I'm always arguing with my partner about uh, whether the world is zero sum or <laughs> if there really are these. So I think there's like in existing buildings, for example, when we fix the um, ductwork that we have really leaky ductwork and you can air seal the ductwork. That's actually a super complicated process and doesn't always work that well. But if you can, then you lower your energy bills and you also improve indoor air quality. So those are the kinds of solutions that I like because it fits my mental model of like, wouldn't that be great if there were win-win solutions? But I think you raise a really good point that it's um, not always that uh, that way. There's not always one thing that's going to solve all of your problems and you have to like make choices. Yes, yeah, just sounds like it's probably easier on a micro scale. Mm. very hard on a macro scale yeah which is like uh, yeah i think that's like applies <laughs> too many different right. things it depends right if you're focused on that it, issue you yeah. can solve that one but when you're trying to solve a whole host of them mm -hmm. right inevitably there's some type of balance yeah so I wanted to talk a little bit about how have you seen the pandemic change our industry we're a little bit maybe on the um uh, recovery side now, I guess people are speaking, I think, less about it and everything. But do you think there's any lasting impacts on our industry, consumers, uh, the clients that you work with? Yeah, I can go first. Um, so I think, especially at the beginning of the pandemic, one of the most asked questions uh, from us was around the air quality. All of our clients were interested now to know how can they address the air quality challenges in the building by various products and you know solutions within the HVAC and you know new solutions um, maybe not from the technology but marketed to the pandemic um, challenges started popping up from everywhere. Um, so we had to jump into trying to evaluate these different technologies, perhaps some adjustment to HVAC. And it was interesting, right? Because we all uh, often get the comment that, oh, something is expensive or, or, or there is upfront cost. And um, all of a sudden, the clients were interested to spend that upfront cost to improve the air quality at, at their buildings. So I think that became the... 
a, a topic that a lot of people started paying attention um, because they felt the direct impact of that. Um, I would say that the second thing that became important uh, a little bit later as conversations were around coming back to the office and in general, that whole sustainability um, topic become becoming a center of the conversation. There was a um, health and well-being of people and occupants in the buildings be became really important. And I would say that a big portion of that comes back to, again, to your building design, HVAC, the lighting, and, um, you know, the, the mechanical systems that uh, are in the building. So we still see the impact of that um, now, and um, it has been so embedded in the conversations with our clients around the health and well-being that um, I still see that to, to be an important um, area of focus for, for a lot of our clients. And we're trying to really tie that back into the building improvements and uh, HVAC and the role that the HVAC system and lighting system um, have in health and well-being of uh, people in a building. I completely agree with you. And even before the pandemic at JBNB, we were always talking about why you wanted increased outside air from a cognitive function. There's a Harvard study by Joe Allen that talks about why you need increased outside air. And we had started pitching this to clients and some of them were interested and others realized more outside air per person required more air handler space and you know, the, the ripple effects of that. And now with the pandemic and the need for indoor air quality as a market differentiator, right, this is really coming into play. So it's nice to see that a benefit that we knew was there, but just wasn't priority for everybody else is now becoming priority. Um, the other thing I would add to that, too, is I know there's sometimes a concern about more outside air. And what does that mean for energy? And how do you how do you look at that and making sure now that you're putting in the most energy efficient solution? You can't just put in an air handler that's providing outside air. I mean, the codes have helped with this as well, but making sure you use energy recovery and capture all the waste heat. And then in the end, the energy impact isn't as much as once was perceived. Yeah, that's a great point. It's not necessarily a win-win, but as your loads are increasing because you're increasing the outdoor air, now it becomes even more important to pay attention to how you're reusing waste heat. Great. And on the commissioning side, are you seeing um, folks paying attention at the end of the job too, or did they lose track of the, uh, out, the healthy indoor air quality goals towards the end? I think it's something that does still get... It can't... It I think it's very situational. Uh, there are some projects that I've uh, been on where they were on top of it. Like they were, they had their filter cleaning schedule. Um, they had the, all their ducks in a row. And then there were other projects like this one project where it was one of my first days back on site um, after the initial quarantine period. So this was, I guess, summer 2020, where I go and their ERV uh, filters are replaced with cardboard. 
Like they just have cardboard in their ERV as like the filters. And that was horrifying <laughs> to see. Especially so, since it was the first time in, in the history of the world that yeah. e filters were being discussed as part of, you know, right. your daily news cycle. And, and like there was no vaccine yet. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I, I d it definitely made me. Uh, talk about with filters more often. Mm. It may not have always been my, um, I mean, I had only been in the industry for nine months before the pandemic started. Um, so I was still just learning, but filters and making sure that you're not just putting a giant filter there, that you're keeping the pressure drop across that filter in mind too. Um, for older air handlers, um, those definitely became I guess a priority for me in my recommendations. And I always check them now. <laughs> That's great. And what are you seeing as some of the more exciting advances in HVAC, whether it's geared towards human comfort or efficiency? Um, what are you excited about? Well, I think given my position and the uh, basically impact that we can make uh, with buildings, I'm not always involved with the newest technology or advancement that um, is happening around HVC. But one thing that I've definitely seen um, that is making a big impact, and I think it's about the time, is having more intelligent system that connects the different equipments within the building and be able to really com communicate between those uh, systems. So I'll give you an example. We have the uh, building automation systems that are supposed to bring the most um, energy efficient and optimized way of uh, operating an HVAC. And we all know that is not really the case. But even if that's the case, you still have your security system that, for example, how many people are entering that building every day, or you have your lighting system. And there's so many of these systems that are not talking to each other because they're operated in isolation related to the data input that they're getting. So what I'm really excited about is um, these new systems that are being introduced uh, that in JLL we actually um, have acquired a building, a system, we have acquired a system called Envio that is uh, able to connect with these different systems and really communicate that, hey, from the security perspective, we only had 20% of our occupants entering into the building. I'm also reading from the lighting sensors that this part of the building is not really occupied uh, as much. So let's have the HVAC system to run a little bit less related to those zones, or even, again, maybe not fully related to HVAC, but at the end of the day, when you're trying to do cleaning, maybe there are certain part of the building that you don't have to take care of because there wasn't much of an occupant uh, sitting there on that specific day. So I'm really excited because I feel that as become, we become more efficient with the HVC system and we're introducing newer designs, there's still this need of how to operate them uh, efficiently. And uh, I think introducing these type of system that can send that proper input of how these uh, HVC systems are supposed to operate is very important and I'm very excited about. I think one thing that I'm excited about, um, in addition to 
optimized BMS systems like you were talking about. Um, on a simpler scale are cold climate package terminal heat pumps, which just like fit in a typical PTAX uh, sleeve. So they're, I think, ideal for any retrofit projects where you you have you know, you have a sleeve for either a gas PTAC or you want to take out your hydronic PTAC altogether or like you have some other terminal equipment there. You can just put it put it there, plug it in and walk away. Theoretically, I haven't actually tested them yet, <laughs> but I have quite a few projects that have specified them. I just reviewed a submittal for one um, yeah. for one project that's going to install 400 of them. So those those are something that I'm I'm really excited about. Yeah, it's interesting. I've talked a lot about um, trying to simplify things. I think I said at one there was an ASHRAE event and people were talking about exciting new advances. And I was thinking about your perspective as of like being in all these older buildings and maybe not knowing what the newest, most exciting technology is. And, it, you know, there are challenges to PTHPs and existing buildings. We probably could have a whole podcast episode about that, of course. Um, but I think the there that component of looking at what's really working and what the challenges are, and you can either go full in, all complicated, let's get sensors everywhere, let's make sure it's tied together, but you have to pay a lot of attention to it. And or maybe there's this opposite side of let's get as simple as possible, <laughs> make it super easy and plug and play. And uh, maybe that's the easiest way to have a really um, unitized system that can turn on and off with the occupant in that room in a more simplified version where, especially in multifamily, where you may not have the capital that we were talking about before. I agree with what both of you said. I'm super excited about smart buildings, and we're looking at just what you said at JLL on so many projects and integrating the BMS with all the other building solutions so you're really optimizing the system. But to build on what you said too, the importance of commissioning with all of that is so essential because you could have all of the fanciest solutions, but if they're not operated correctly, you're not getting the benefit that you hoped and the benefit that you paid for and making sure you commission and retro commission and, and, and making sure that that's an ongoing process. The process, the project doesn't end once you install it, right? It's constant tweaking, constant improving and, and that sort of thing for the life of the building. What I would say I'm most excited about in the industry right now is just the impacts of local law 97 and decarbonization and the electrification of buildings. It's so it's such an exciting time to be part of the solution of buildings. You know, before this happened and before electrification, even before the pandemic, when we started to talk about this, clients didn't care as much in the initial massing of the building. Everybody kind of thought they had it down. You know, you leave space maybe for a chiller plan or cooling towers and you had your local floor DX unit. And now it's such an integrative process. There's no one solution. The biggest thing is bringing in the engineer earlier on in the design process to really look through all of the options and figure out what the right solution is because there's so many different ways to go about it. And building on, I know I talked a little bit about it before, but energy recovery systems on air side and water side, you know, P 
people didn't always see the benefit of that before, but when you're paying for an electricity, it has it's a little bit more meaningful, or if it means more space because you're heating plants oversized because you're not using the heat recovery, now it's really part of the entire conversation. And that's what's exciting for me. Yeah, that's a good point that decarbonization or electrification or all electric buildings or however we want to talk about it is not just, you know, adding another percentage point of efficiency in your whatever or going even from, you know, a traditional boiler to a condensing boiler, which doesn't condense anyway. So it's maybe 80 percent. Anyway, we'll put that aside. But the this is actually forcing us to think holistically about building performance and to take that different perspective of integrating um, healthy buildings with the HVAC system. It gives us both kind of the requirement to do that, but also the opportunity to do that. So it is, I agree that it's a very interesting time. I like going last because I can just agree with all of you ladies. Are there any specific projects that you've worked on where you've applied these strategies? Any specific data or information you can share about how to uh, you know, it, it always sounds like a good idea at first, but then sometimes the challenge gets into um, the execution. A lot of mine are in like that schematic or design part. Like mm. there are two projects that I'm uh, working on that have air source heat pumps for their electrifying their domestic hot water. But I can't talk about maybe that. It can be a future episode topic. <laughs> Yeah, um, it's exciting to to dive in too, but I haven't seen a lot of it because they're so new. I haven't seen a lot of them installed yet. I feel when you're asking about the most exciting and the newest thing, <laughs> ultimately, it's a trick question. yeah, it is a trick question because it will take time to you know, have the full results of a system or a new design or new technology. But I feel that we have to remember there are a lot of components of these, as we discussed, that already existed before. And uh, I think it's hard to say what the full impact of that would be, but I think we can predict that anything that helps us to run more efficiently in a building should have a positive results. We're at the point in our industry and our world that we have to make some serious actions again, um, to your point around decarbonization and that whole fight for the climate change. And I think I'm excited to see what the results of all of these technologies and newer uh, strategies that we're putting in place, but all of that will show us, you know, in a few years where we are, uh, but I'm confident that um, they would be all helpful. So I don't have any specific project that I can provide a three years of, you know, data to you, but I, I'm confident that these are all right solutions that we shouldn't shy away from and really still push our clients to consider when, when it's appropriate. I agree with you. I don't think there's a single project that I've started since 2020 that hasn't at least had it part of the conversation and whether they decide to go with the whole gamut of all of the most sustainable energy efficient carbon friendly design or some type of hybrid it's at least part of the conversation which it wasn't before mm. yeah and that's the first step in terms of moving the market that's great I want to be conscious of everybody's time, but we like to ask 
when we have everyone back on the podcast in five years, what will we be talking about then? It would be really cool to see these implemented, electrified, net zero energy buildings in implementation talk about you know, the benefits of it and how we've built on it and what the next step is in design. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. I was thinking in five years, I might actually have PTHPs installed somewhere. <laughs> I can tell people whether or not yeah. they worked <laughs> or air source uh, heat pumps for DHW conversions one day. <laughs> I love that. Well, thanks for being on the podcast today. Thanks for listening. For more info, check out the show notes at swinter.com slash podcast. That's swinter.com slash podcast. Buildings and Beyond is brought to you by Stephen Winter Associates. Our goal is to improve the built environment. If you're on a similar mission, consider checking out our careers page. We have offices in New York City, Washington, D.C., Connecticut, and Massachusetts. If you have ideas for episodes, suggestions for guests, or general feedback about the Buildings and Beyond podcast, we'd love to hear it. You can get in touch by emailing podcast at swinter.com. That's podcast at swinter.com. Thanks.